services we had at five o'clock the baptism service we had uh, 18 babies we baptized and we ran out of water we had to quit right at that point but that was an incredible thing um, and our drama department uh, <laughs> I have never seen this before uh, that Bob Lee dressed as a shepherd and he had a quiz and he asked all the kids to come up he got them so wound up they bum rushed him they were pushing on him and pulling and and he's injured this morning and so uh we don't have him, but we do have something for our children this morning. A couple of years ago, it's kind of a classic around here our drama department has done, and that is Babe in a Manger. Watch this. Merry Christmas, babe. Why are you saying Merry Christmas? Because it's Christmas Eve. Oh, what's a Christmas? Why don't you ask the horse? Excuse me, Mr. Horse, what's Christmas? It's just a day when you get off work, that's all it is. That wasn't a very good answer. Why don't you ask the other animals? Okay, I'll ask the other animals. I wonder if the chickens know anything about Christmas. Mr. Rooster, are you sleeping? Wakey-wakey, Mr. Rooster. What? It's a pig. I was wondering if I could ask you about... Why do you wake me? I was wondering if you could tell me about... I can answer those questions. Sophia, let me finish. No. Oh, this okay. is a ham house, not a ham house. Get out before I put an apple in your mouth and glaze you. You... You fell, you stupid swine. Could you tell me the meaning behind Christmas? Oh, you've come to the perfect place, my dear boy. The whole day is about me. It's about stroking, petting, and pampering me. Christmas is about you? Yes. And for that matter, so is every other day. Are you sure there's not more to it than that? Oh, I'm positive. Thank you very much, but I think I'll keep asking around. Oh, if you must. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, ah, got a sliver. Hey, pig! Pig! All right, step this way. Into my office. Wipe your hook. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what you need to know. Are you ready? This is really big. About Christmas? Yes, it's Aflac. Aflac? What's that have to do with Christmas? You ever heard of Aflac? Say it with no. me. Aflac, 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 Aflac. What an idiot. Come on, say it. Aflac. Nobody knows what Christmas is. Ask the mother sheep. She knows. Oh, okay. I think I'm out of animals. Which one of you is mother sheep? I am she. What do you need to know? Could you tell me what Christmas is all about? Oh, of course I can, little pig. That's great. However, the first thing you should know about Christmas is to never ask the duck. Yeah, I sort of found that out. Or the cat, or the horse. <laughs> Dear one, they don't know because they weren't there. We were. You were? 
Yes, or at least our relatives were. Simply put, Christmas is the day our Savior was born. Really? Our Savior? It happened a little over 2,000 years ago. My great, 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 great grand you was out in the field by night, watching over the other sheep and making sure the shepherds didn't wander off. When up in the sky, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel told them to fear not. For that very night, the Savior of the world was born in a manger just outside of Bethlehem. Without wasting a moment, they got up and took their two shepherds to see the birth of the Lamb of God. What you need to know is that the Lord of the universe could have been born anywhere he wanted to be. But he chose to enter life on this mortal plane, surrounded by animals. Wow, that's quite an honor. Yes, it was. And one that the sheep of the world have never forgotten. Then what happened? Then they wrapped him in swaddling wool. And after that, the wisest of all creatures traveled a great distance to pay homage to the Lamb of God. You mean camels? Exactly. Wow! To help them, the Lord placed a bright star up in the sky so they could find their way to him. And the camels had their riders bring along gifts for the lamb, because humans have opposable thumbs, and we thought it was rude to leave them out entirely. That was so kind of us. Would you expect anything less from animals? No, I suppose not. And so the Lamb of God came to save the world. And ever since that wondrous night, we celebrate his birth on the holiday we call Christmas. Wow! Thank you, Mother Sheep. That was a wonderful story. It's more than just a story, little pig. It's a tale that reminds us that God came into the world to save us all. Everyone? Even the duck? <laughs> Even the duck. <laughs> And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The incomprehensible and yet the great fact of all of reality. The grand miracle of all that the Creator became a part of His creation. And as we gather together on this Christmas morning, we have been going over Christmas in the cities. And we've been looking at the different cities that God used in the birth of His Son. We started with looking at Nineveh and why the Assyrian capital because it is in that context that Isaiah gives the prophecy that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We found out that God is there before we get there, whatever the situation. God is there when they're there, and God will be there long after we're gone and the peace it gives. Then we looked at Nazareth, the home of Jesus. And Jesus of Nazareth would be like saying Jesus of Barstow. Why Nazareth? It's such a small little kind of village. 
And the reason why that God delights in using everyday men and women in places. He's not into superstars. Then we saw, of course, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the house of bread. And that he was born in a feeding trough or laid there. And that, of course, he will become spiritually what we dine upon. We looked at Rome, that God used Augustus, the emperor sitting miles away to make a decree to fulfill to the detail the prophecy and that God is God of all nations of this planet, whether they're aware of it or not. And we saw, of course, last night, Jerusalem, the holy city, and that learning how to worship changes our lives. But this morning, next week, we'll finish up with looking at Babylon and Persia and the wise men, the magi coming. But the event that kicked all these cities into gear, the incarnation, incarne, carne means meat. You know, when you have chili con carne, that's chili with meat. This is God con carne, that sense of God with blood dripping meat, this crazy truth that you and I have. And two of the great truths of that is, as Paul would say, the love of God has been manifest in our midst. Manifest the love of God in three ways. The love that the Father has for the Son is what this morning is all about. Jesus did this out of His love for the Father and the Father's love for the Son, and we're being caught up in that. Manifest God's love for you and for me. Love is not some syrupy sentimentality that He just wants you and me to have a good time. It is His will wishing our very best. And then unbelievably manifest that the love that we can have for each other, even the hardest people that there are to love, and that's what this whole story is all about. If you have your Bible, would you take it out and turn with me a couple of passages. First, let's turn over to Luke into the second chapter. It's on page 833 in your pew Bible and starting in verse 15. There's so much answers that are given to prayer. It's, uh, I remember some time ago, I forget what gym someone was telling me, they're working on 24-hour fitness or something. This is when cell phones first came out, and the guy was there, and a cell phone went off, and he picked it up, and he answered, and he could listen to him as he was changing to get ready to work out, and the guy said, I guess if you want to buy that, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's been a wonderful... No, get anything you want. Get everything we have for the kids. Have a great time. And he hung up, and he said, does anybody know who owns this cell phone or not? I don't know who has that. <laughs> and in the sense of that we're on God's bill, and here, Luke, we've been going through this Luke's account, he's a historian, he's a physician, he has the longest part of the birth narrative. And then starting here in verse 8, after they have, the angels have appeared to the shepherds. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. God owns this broken world. God made the world good. There's a reason that you and I Know in our heart that evil is not the way that the world should go. Who told you that? Because we have it in our DNA, God made the world good. The world is not as God made it. Sin entered into the world when we rebelled and we rejected God and we became slaves of the lower laws. If I don't follow the laws of 
carefulness here, I will become a slave of gravity. When planes quit flying, aerodynamics overrules gravity. Gravity takes over. And when you and I are not walking in the Lord's ways, gravity will suck our wings right off and down we go. But God said, I will make the world new again. And he's already started that. This is this invasion. A splinter of the future has broken off in the person that was born this morning. Your future and mine. And right now, if you are a Christian, you will not be any more loved, accepted, and adopted as a daughter, son of God, a million eons from now than you are right now. Now, this is still a fallen, broken, tough world. But the future has already invaded. Some guy, God will make it all new, a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, this is a remarkable story of this invasion. And if you can see it and piece it together, I am totally, I don't think I am, but every test I have, colorblind. I think I can see colors. But have you ever had those tests where they put a number in there in the dots? If they said, we'll give you a million dollars if you guess this number, I can't. Carolyn was glad to find that out. She just thought I had horrible taste all these years. But I, but I think I see colors. But you know, your rods and your cones, you know how camouflage works? Camouflage works because it breaks up the pattern. You're looking at me with dots right now, and you're piecing together a file. There's a little stumpy pastor up there. If you break up that pattern, your mind doesn't see anything. That's how military camouflage works. It throws off not your eyes. It throws off your brain. Because your brain doesn't know how to piece together the patterns that are out there, and so you don't see it. How much of this world is camouflaged? Some camouflaged by God. Jesus told parables to reveal the truth to the interested and to hide it from those that are just treating God like a parlor game. He said, to you has been revealed the secrets. He's not playing cat and mouse. He's sifting the heart. And yet how much does evil camouflage and we forget. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. Your family is not your enemy. Your office workers are not your enemy. Even the people in this city that hate the things of God and think you and I in here, noogies to you with your imaginary friend in the sky, and think you guys have smoked breakfast is why you're here, they are not our enemy. Our enemy is the forces of evil. Now, they be used by that, yes. But you and I are called to be able to go and to show them this truth. And that's what an answer prayer is. Like that three uh, pastors were together. One was a Baptist pastor, and he said, what's the greatest answer prayer you ever had? He said, well, one time I was in a snowstorm, and I slid out of control, and I prayed, and God, and somehow the car got to the side safely. That was an answer prayer. They went, wow, that's great. Then they said to the one of the Pentecostal, and they said, what's the greatest answer prayer you ever said? He said, one time I, my arm had this infection, and I prayed and prayed, and I watched and I saw that God answered that prayer. And they said, praise the Lord. The other was a Scotch Presbyterian who, who was a Sabbatarian who can't work on the Sabbath. And they said, what's the greatest answer prayer you ever had? He said, I was walking along one Sunday, and there I saw some money laying on the side of the road. And I knew on Sunday I couldn't pick it up, and I prayed. And all around me for 50 yards, it was Monday. When we come to God with our desires and we try to play and kind of game the system, so to speak, a little bit, that we really don't have the answers that the Lord wants. Luke describes this. John, Luke, the only Gentile writer of all this scripture. And this is unbelievable. Of the ten authors of the New Testament, nine of them are devout Jews. Devout. 
And all of them will say that the incarnation took place because they saw it. There's no hint of the incarnation in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, that God would put on flesh. They just knew that the Messiah, the Sia, the anointed one would come. But all of these who are witnesses, good Jewish boys are saying, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, he had his Ph.D., Ph.D. in theology of Judaism. Taught Guy Gamaliel. He said, And the Word became flesh, the visible image of the invisible God. And John struggles to try to communicate this with language. Because you and I this morning, the incarnation means we don't serve three gods. And we don't serve one God that puts on three costumes. You and I have a mystery this morning that's more bizarre than that. One God and three persons. Probably the best analogy that was ever used was St. Patrick went to the Irish when he took the clover leaf and it said the three clover leaves and the one stem, one God and three. But there's no good analogies to the Trinity because he's not one in a series of events. But John tries to explain this. Got your Bible. Turn back over to the Gospel of John in the first chapter, page 862 in your pew Bible. And this manifestation of the living God. Now, of course, John thinks you've ever heard or read one of the other Gospels. Why? Because he'll say things like, this was before John the Baptist was put in prison. And never explain himself. Like you know that John the Baptist was put in prison. So John is an older man looking back and connecting the dots in a different way. And he begins his prologue this way. This is so good. We have to read this together out loud. Let's read verses 1 through 9 together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the love. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Ain arche, ain halagas in the Greek. In the beginning was the word. In the word and... Our uh, Jehovah Witness friend will make a big thing about that the definite article isn't there. And the word was, and it says a God. It doesn't say that at all. If you ask people, do you think Jesus is the Son of God? They'll say, yeah. If you ask people, do you think Jesus was God the Son? You get a different response. Early on, as the church tried to wrestle with this, certainly at Nicaea, when Constantine gathered together, Jesus was not a man who the Christ, the eternal one, filled. You and I have something more strange than that. That the infinite one himself, the son of God who spoke all things into creation, put on flesh. It's called the hypostatic union, the 50 cent word, meaning hypo means underneath. No place could you say here was the divinity of God, of Jesus, and here was his humanity. Perfectly united. And yet God releases that. And John struggles, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He wasn't the Father, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with Him. And then He has the creative aspect. But then look at over here at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world came into being through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to what was His own, and His own people did not accept Him. 
But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The manifest love of God that Jesus comes because he loves the Father. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said to them one time when his critics were just blasting me, he said, I'm not here to do my will and you should be glad about that. I'm here to do the Father's will and the Father's will is to save you. He loved the Father. The Father loved the Son before there was a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean and gave himself to him. And you and I are being saved and that's what this morning is about. But he did that because God wanted us so much. We're his family. He came to his own and his own received him not. An enemy can attack you. They can never shame you. It takes someone you trust to shame you. I went one time with a friend to a family reunion, and I watched his family literally turn their back to him. Nine out of ten of the family because he was the outcast, the black sheep. And I, I can't tell you the pain it was to watch. He would go up to somebody and just grab air and go out to shake their hand. That's shaming. You know, and all of us have relatives that are hard to live with and love. They asked the guy one time, if you only had a year to live, what would you do? He said, I would move in with my in-laws. He said, why would you do that? He said, because it seemed like 10 years by the time I died, I tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, this idea of being able, and in the toughest situations, Jesus continues to love them, even as they shame and push him back. The incarnation, it's the the Old Testament prophets, they all know this is what's beautiful about this book. We don't worship a book and we don't believe that it fell down out of heaven. Our Muslim friends who were here, we had a lot of Muslims at the, the show down at Nokia. I prayed with a couple of them. But they believe the Quran was literally a miracle that was given to the illiterate Muhammad. That's the mystery and the miracle of the Quran. We don't believe this book fell out. We believe that the Holy Spirit moved real men and women just like you and me into actual events and that they wrote and it's so verified. And the prophets in the Old Testament, there are 40 of them that bear these little snippets of Jesus. It'd be like if you sent 40 artists off into separate rooms and they never talked to each other and said, make a portrait of somebody. And they came out and the portrait wouldn't, wasn't identical, but it matched the right size, the right height, the right eye color. And if it all just came up on their own, you'd have to say there was another mind behind that. And that's exactly what the trustworthiness that we have in this. And not only the incarnation, but the subordination. Subordination of the Son to the Father does not mean that He was sub-divine. He was sub in office, not in essence. He was God, but He said, My desire is to do whatever the Father does. I can do only what I see the Father doing. And so why aren't we doing a little lesson on the Trinity on Christmas morning? Well, I thought as long as you were sleeping, I might as well talk to you about this. <laughs> because it is so important that we leave here and understand the stunning, crazy, wonder, mystery of what you and I are talking about this morning. And here's the wildest thing. It has to do with you and me. That the same God who did this on this morning or 2,000 years ago, wants to come into our lives. And trying to stop God is like holding a beach ball underwater. It's not about pulling God down. You take your hands off and kaboom. You take off the resistance and the fear, and God releases this life into us. 
And that's what this story of what God is doing. The son of the father giving and us being able to subordinate ourselves to the son does not mean that we give up, but that we let go. And that's why we can go into these jobs and into this job market. My goodness. And some of you that are trying so hard in the studios, trying to, my goodness, things are crazy out there, trying to be a class act for Christ to be salt and light, high virtue and high quality. Those of you that are involved in so much in trying to help people in the financial world as this market goes crazy. Those of you I know that are really involved in a lot of the medical research that is out there and the question It used to be conception, birth, and death were pretty clear. Not anymore. And how do Christians speak into this mystery and this marvel of life? Those of you that are in the classrooms and those of you that are working the jobs and overseeing contractors and helping people and standing by and say, this is what a Christian does. That's what the incarnation is about. That's what subordination is saying, Father, this is your will. You take this. And it's remarkable as we do this that, as John says, the word, the communication speaks. Who do you let speak into your life this next coming year if God gives us 2012? And i like to remind all of us, great odds. I'm speaking to several people that will not see December of 2012. This will be the last year you put your socks on. Statistically, that is probably very, very true. Aren't you glad you came to worship this morning? And And the great question is, are you going to put it in context, not be afraid of death, not be afraid at all? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me lives will never, and he meant really die. In the twinkling out of eye, you stand before the Lord with utter joy and glory. The only commonality out of all ND experiences, near-death experiences, NDEs, and some of them are bogus, but some of them you go, wow, there's no way to explain this, is they're all bummed out when they come back to their body. There's this sense of really, really, And I think even for the lost, it's positive. Because to enter into that spiritual, because the judgment place hasn't taken place yet. And for us as Christians, not to be afraid of death, not only that. But we're not here because God's doing some work on the 405 to glory. That'll probably be done by the time Christ returns, when the 405. (laughs) But because God has a mission and a purpose for all of us in the schools, in our classrooms, and being able with our mouth to speak blessing into people's lives. Fascinating study, uh, Cliff Notorious of Catholic University and Howard Markham of the University of Denver called We Can Work It Out. And they studied over a thousand newlywed couples over 10 years. And they wanted to see what were some of the dynamics of couples staying together. This is interesting. They said the couple that stay together, five of every hundred comments were put downs. So about a hundred comments, five of them were critical ones like, oh, sure, like you and I do this or whatever. Only five. Those that ended up in divorce, this is remarkable, only 10 of the comments were put downs the first two years. But what happened, they said, is it feeds upon each other. Listen to what they say. That, quote, hostile put downs act as a cancerous cell that if unchecked erode the relationship. In the end, relentless, unremitting negativity takes control and the couple can't get through a week without a major blow up. Of course, this is great what they say. Quote, the reverse is just as true. 
What they see is, when with our mouths, when we are constantly putting each other down, it starts to feed on itself. And you just push back and push back and push back. But yet, when you, you can have conflict, but when our mouths are so like, wow, that, I love what you do, that is great how you do that, it feeds on itself too. I'm sure you realize good habits are as addictive as bad habits. And when we get in that habit of using our mouth to speak blessing, that's what this incarnation is all about. The love of God manifests within us. Of course, the love of God, eros, the Greek word which is used in the scriptures of seeking the beautiful. We use the word erotic when we think of sexual love because of the Greeks and the beauty of the physical body. This poinsettia has eros to it, the beauty of its eye. Listening to Nancy on the organ and TJ and the worship team to pray, that is eros in that sense. And you're attracted to it. When you go and you have a great cup of coffee and a slice of pecan pie and you say there must be a god in heaven that's eros and that's good the trouble is if you take that away it leaves storge is familial love someone asked the sunday school teacher what is a family and a little boy raises his hand and says i know a family is a place they have to accept you whether they like you or not and that's actually a great answer storge is they have to accept you whether you like them or not it's familial love spiritual family extended phileos is committed love when people are committed to you whether they need to or not and someone say that they and i've had this before in my life gave a surprise cash envelope in they knew they couldn't make the bills and they had a cash envelope that was put into their mailbox of somebody to help them to get through the months they'll never know where it came from that's phileos that's the kind of love to say i stand by you but agape. If Eros seeks the beautiful, and Storge and Phileos are committed to the beautiful, agape takes the ugly and makes the beautiful. God takes the ugliness of this fallen and broken world and our sin and rebellion in all of our relationships. And when we release and let the incarnation come, and God tries to explain this to us, Emil Brunner in his great German theologian explanation is he said that one time in a neighboring village a father had a fight with his son and they hadn't spoken to each other for years and the father kept writing letters to his son and the letters always came back unopened and he did this for over two years in the middle of the winter one night he wrote one saying my son I am so sorry I so want to be and back as a family. And he did something, though, that was different. Rather than sending it in the mail, he put on his coat and he walked 23 miles through the Alps in the middle of the winter to be able to knock on the door of his son and to hand him the note and to say, read this, I love you. And Bruner said, God whispered to us letter after letter through the prophets, I love you, I love you, I want you. But we continued to blow him off. And so he put on the clothes of that child in the manger to come to us and say, I want you. Come to me. And that's what Christmas is about. That means the wealth that we have. Eight Christmases ago, Athena Roselle became the wealthiest teenager in history. 
Her father, Aristotle Onassis, had been married to Christina. And Christina died at the age of 37 and left all of Onassis' estate to one girl. At age 18, she became a multiple billionaire. I wonder where she shops, don't you? I don't think she worries about it. You have the wealth, not figuratively, literally. For we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him as well. You and I share in the wealth of the Son of God himself, the risen Christ this morning when we are in Christ. And that means we can attempt all sorts of things. I love that true story. The first time a triple axle was ever attempted in the Olympics, I forget the name of the skater, but he was so far ahead. He was so far ahead in points. He had one more routine to do. He said he could have gone out and done a snow angel and still won. And he had nothing to lose. And so he went and he attempted the first triple axle and nailed it. And the reason why? There was no pressure. You and I can attempt great things for God and expect great things from God because of what Christ has done. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. We have an incredible life. The world is nuts. This is one of the craziest cities on the planet. It is so broken. It is so many mean people out there. Is this a great place to be or what? It's a fabulous place to be able to take the good news of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and go do that, shall we? God Almighty, we thank you that in the mystery of your plan and your purposes before the foundation of the world, that you sent your Son born into that manger to live that life, to go to this cross, to be resurrected that's next to you in glory. And Lord, someday you're going to send him back to take us to be with you forever. Until then, God, may we be found speaking blessing and grace and love and hope and peace into this broken world. And Lord, may we expect and attempt great things for you, not on our sake, God, but because you're that big of a God. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave here on this day, the celebration of the birth of your son, the Lord, when you tuck us in bed tonight and when you whisper to us of the dreams that you have, may you be pleased with how we loved each other and trusted you. And we pray this in the name of the risen Christ for his sake alone. Amen.